All right. Welcome to the Herbal Hour, Marissa. Uh, you were on the show before talking about magical medicine. And today we will continue our forays into magic. So to start off, can you tell uh, the audience a little bit about your background, what you're interested in? Great. Yeah, I'd love to. Um, so last time we talked, we began uh, talking about our self-healing powers and our self-healing magic. And at that time, I was just going to begin a journey of um, unraveling, I guess, or like a self-healing journey. And so I'm happy to be back here now speaking with you and I can share just a bit about what I've learned and some of the experiences I've had. Yes, please. Yeah. So uh, I graduated from National University of Natural Medicine with my Bachelor's of Science in Integrative Health Sciences. Uh, that is a naturopathic and Chinese medicine school. So along with the pre-med prerequisite sciences, I learned modalities of holistic healing in naturopathy and Qigong. Um, this is, that was and is sort of a um, non-traditional route, I guess. So to continue in the non-traditional path, I decided to start a business because I felt that I learned a lot of practices that can translate over to help people now, even though I was not a doctor at the time, and um, I felt very empowered to do so. Um, so in that time, I have been learning soma breathing. That's one uh, modality that I've resonated with and love to share one-on-one uh, -on -one with people. Um, and then I have created a workshop called Imagination Creation. And then I also offer in-person healings, which are called attunements. So in school, I trained in orthobionomy, which is a subtle neuromuscular release technique and modality that works with the body's tensions to release trauma in the body. So we do uh, an hour attunement and I have a little bit of like artistic creative flair that I bring into that, but it's based on that orthobionomy, somatic re-experiencing. And then we sit for 45 minutes or so for a Gung Fu Cha style tea ceremony. Yeah. That sounds uh, quite enlivening. So you, you yes. mentioned that you started um, your own business. So the first question yeah. that comes to my mind is, with all of this ideas around manifestation and kind of visualization, is there any practices that mm -hmm. you use in terms of like, you know, creating your business or uh, what you do in terms of work? Like, do you do any kind of yeah. manifestation practice or anything like that? Um, yeah. So really recently I've been training in um, this technique called quantum magic. And right, you, do, you definitely got to get into that. <laughs> How spicy. Yeah. So um, really manifestation is um, visualizing what you want and then feeling what you want and like really embodying, embodying that, um, which is, um, which is magic. And really uh, you can do practices um, for example, just really simply setting a reminder on your phone with an affirmation, I am success. So you might have a negative pattern in your, in your mind that 
is running, degrading like your self-worth. So to create new space, you put in this reminder on your phone that says, I am success. And when you see that, you say, you see it, visualize it, you feel it, you feel it. And now you have new space created that's shifting your perspective. And with that Mm. shift in perspective, now you have more freedom to explore possibilities. And that is what I consider magic, which can be used to bring more harmony to yourself and the world. <laughs> mm. Last uh, podcast, we talked a little bit about this. Yeah. Um, the subconscious mind and what role the subconscious mind specifically plays in how magic might work, even if someone doesn't necessarily believe in, you know, that there's like entities outside guiding us or yeah. anything like that. Um, it seems that there's a lot of unconscious factors that decide our decisions, right? So like, let's say you have to do something that you set for yourself and you were very excited about it and you kind of set it in the future. And then when you actually like sit down to it, there's all these like poles, like there's like the distraction. One part of your mind wants to go this way. One part wants to go that way. It kind of shows us that we're not like really integrated in a lot of ways uh, without like Mm -hmm. sufficient practice that um, our unconscious mind is, is pulling us all which way. Um, and the question of that is, how does our unconscious mind get programmed? Yeah. Right? Because it's always just perceiving everything that's occurring all around us. So yeah. the way I think of um, magic in, at the lowest level, meaning like this is definitely at least true for me, is that you're basically trying to influence that process in a certain way, right? Because like mm-hmm. if you're having negative uh, thought patterns, like I can't do this, I'm not worthy, etc. That's like kind of programming the subconscious mind. And then it gives expression in actual actions, in actual conscious thoughts. But if we kind of take that process and try to reprogram it in terms of what would it be like to live the life I really wanted to live? Like, what would that look like? Or visualizing having kind of a direction and then kind of putting that in. Feel. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And the, the, the emotional feeling part. And then kind of putting that little information in and then eventually it kind of starts carrying you a little bit. Um, yeah. So what, what role do you uh, find the kind of subconscious factors play? Yeah. Um, well, I believe, so like to kind of go off of manifesting is like, you can look at your subconscious as like, we're always manifesting things. Mm-hmm. Um, I think about how we have just like a, limited view on what is like the whole larger reality or story going on um so i believe like our our subconscious is really um and i'm just kind of learning about this because i've been also interested in like hypnosis but our subconscious is formed in like the first seven years of our lives so within those first seven years of your life you're going to you learn the skills or tools that play out the rest of your life unless you get curious and become aware of some of these things that maybe you're just curious about and want to know, like, why is it like this? Um, and I think that that's really like the key to the subconscious hacks is awareness and just beginning to observe your thought patterns and like observe where your emotions are going and then even more deeper even deeper than that is all right well this is happening 
And now I'm not going to like get hard. I'm not going to be hard on myself or be down on myself because this is what's going on. Like, I'm just going to see it. For example, I'm going to see this thought. I, I love it or, or, or not. And now I recognize like that thought doesn't have to have power over me. Mm-hmm. So I think that that's kind of like the way that you start to understand your subconscious mind. And there's practices that I use like called activation games that um, kind of like trick yourself to bring some of these things up that you might not be aware of that are playing out because in this present moment either like you're present here you might not even be aware of what is like holding you back so if you trick yourself into like opening up a book and looking at the first three words that you see you're like, okay, why why are these three words coming up? That's one way that you can start to engage mm. with your subconscious mind. So it's like a large part of us. Um, and then it's just like getting a becoming aware of of what is really going on. <laughs> yeah, I think that that's a really interesting view of uh, how divination of all sorts works. Like mm. uh, like reading tea leaves or reading uh, tarot cards or even yeah. like dream interpretation. Because really what it seems that's happening is whether or not, once again, someone believes that there's like a divine power that's like putting it in front of you. The question of like, when you open a book and your mind gets drawn to those words, why? And there is a reason why. And it, that's kind of where, where we're at as humans in conscious evolution is figuring out that exact um, why, why those three words that came up. Um, So it's like, by reading the world, you're actually reading your subconscious mind because it yes. is like pre-perception. So it's actually guiding your perception. Like it's that, that idea of like what you uh, believe you will become. And, mm-hmm. But that belief isn't just conscious belief. It's like deep internal belief. And the thing you said too is interesting about early childhood programming it because that's all mm-hmm. it makes sense. Those are like those intrinsic beliefs, which aren't even like thoughts. They're more just like feelings. Like, I just don't feel good. I don't feel yeah. good about myself and you don't really know why. And that's why it sucks because you can't really do anything about it without like, I guess, digging in or maybe feeling it and then like reacting differently to it. Yeah. So what yeah. I've been noticing um, with the subconscious factors too, that's kind of interesting to add in here is that, you know, sometimes our subconscious mind knows best. Like sometimes we're trying to force ourselves to do something and then like it forces us to take a break and then the next day we're like super productive. So it's like we don't even really know ourselves. So to some degree, we're almost in this like dance with our own, you know, subconscious or you could call it the divine or some higher power. But Mm -hmm. it does seem that there's these kind of cycles that don't um, aren't in our control. Like we have like this much control over our lives. Yeah, exactly. And uh, like using that, like, first becoming aware and then using our subconscious mind to expand, like expand into new spaces or utilize our creative forces like imagination. And yeah. So. And, and what you, when you speak about like the first seven years and whatnot, it's like similar, like there's, there's times in our lives when, someone says something that obviously like they, they will never think back to for some reason Mm. though, that emotion that you feel like maybe they just said that, 
okay, I'll just use myself for example. So when I was young and in art, I was in art school or, or whatever in class, and I compared my work to everyone else's. And for some reason, I told myself that my artwork wasn't any good. And like that stuck with me forever. And so I never created any artwork. And it wasn't until I sat down and actually created some sort of piece of art and someone behind me and said, hey, that's really good, that I started to question, why was I telling myself that story this whole time? Mm. Why was I holding on to that? And I think then I was able to unravel that story and realize that the root of it was back when I was a kid in this art class comparing myself to it. And so that's when I think thinking about our subconscious mind and how we like how we grow from it is to really get to the root. And that's this quantum magic that I am learning that you can go through. It's like sort of a hypnosis process. Mm. And you start to really see where your subconscious is rooted and then how you can move on from that space, like collapse that story, collapse those limiting beliefs. And then again, open up that new space so that you are more free to possibilities of the universe. What does that practice look like? Is this like a like awareness, like a breathing exercise, some kind of like um, writing? So, so the person that I am training under, learning it from, Daniel Raphael, he calls it mixed magic martial arts, and so I love that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, so it's it's a lot of different techniques, um, and it really is individualized to the person. Um, so, so yeah, it's, I mean, I guess like a way to look at it is like energy healing or hypnosis in a way. Again, it's kind of a unique in its own. So quantum magic. <laughs> yeah. That's the interesting thing about uh, meditation in general is like, typically it's thought of as this like one thing, but there's like thousands of different techniques. And what's interesting yeah. too, is that each person like has a natural tendency towards one of them. Um, yeah. like some people can't really just like sit in like breath awareness, their mind is too scattered, but if they do like, um, emotional meditation, like a compassion based one, mm -hmm. it like instantly calms their mind or some people can't stay yeah. still and got to run, but that, that yeah. also meditation. Yeah, exactly. And, or, and just like, you can take a walk. Like you say, some people think of meditating just like sitting and that's the only way you meditate. Actually, no, you can go outside for a walk and you just take one or a few minutes to look at a leaf and like just ponder it or something like that's a form of meditating. So. Mm. Yeah. I think what they, they all share is um, trying to like root the minds back into the body and back into the senses and back into basically like being aware of what's happening because we have this tendency to go into kind of, you know, what they call the default mode network where we're just mm -hmm. like, basically like automatons. And it's like super useful because like you don't want to think about everything you have to do. Like, uh, like when you first start driving a car, like it's terrifying because you're like yeah. thinking of all the things you have to do with your hands and like you're worried somebody's just going to like come out of nowhere and you're just, it's so stressful. But once you get good at it, it can become automatic where you're just like thinking about what you'll eat for dinner later while you're doing one of the most dangerous activities known <laughs> to humanity. <laughs> and it's like, you know, to some degree, it's like you want to actually retain that element of fear to some degree because it mm -hmm. like still is just as dangerous as it always was. But you also have to like let go of that default mode network. I think that's where 
uh, psychedelic medicine kind of comes in of like yeah. breaking you out of that. Um, yeah. So we were discussing a little bit before uh, there's this movement in Oregon to basically make psilocybin uh, assisted psychotherapy, a legal thing that uh, mm-hmm. uh, providers can do. Uh, I just kind of mm-hmm. wanted to discuss the topic with you because it's, it's really interesting to me because um, yeah. I've seen the amazing, amazing potential of uh, psilocybin when used in a kind of shamanic setting or used in a kind of psychotherapeutic setting. Um, so can you give us a little background about what's going on here in Oregon and how it's kind of shaking things up? Yeah, sure. I'd love to. I'll speak to that. And then I'll just share my opinion and and take on uh, psychedelics in general. Um, So I have moved away from being more involved with the Oregon Psilocybin Society's movement uh, because I have been out of Oregon for a little while. Um, What they're trying to do, though, is get, like you said, psilocybin assisted therapy um, as a means for anybody who's over 21 that Mm -hmm. goes through an interview process um, just to eliminate anything that might cause disharm, I guess, or yeah, in yourself. Um, And then you're able to sit with a licensed therapist and then that licensed therapist is like sort of on your team afterwards to aid in the post psychedelic experience or integration experience. It's different than the decriminalized movements, for example, that Denver and Oakland uh, passed and went through. This is really a a medical movement. Um, Mm. It's really more focusing on the therapeutic side versus the decriminalized act is just stating that the city isn't going to use any of their funds to prosecute anyone that is using psilocybin or some other natural occurring psychedelics, for example. Um, Yeah. And, and so I, I like, I like it. I think that there is a, other side of the argument that says that this is only going to be for people who are affluent and can afford it. Um, And I think that that is a a valid statement and one way you can look at it. At the same time, there's just so many people that anecdotally have benefited from, shared their benefits from psilocybin. And um, it's really now more than ever needed in humanity and human consciousness to start to awaken to questioning some of the systems that are in place here that are really, um, in my opinion, removing us from our humanity and from nature. Um, So... Yeah. yeah, I've seen some really fascinating research about um, MDMA assisted psychotherapy being used for mm-hmm. uh, firefighters, first responders, anyone else who's been through traumatic events. Um, and that particular study actually found that a single use had like long lasting benefits on all their like depression, anxiety, and everything. Um, it's interesting too that these kind of therapies have been you know investigated since I think like the late '60s and early '70s, yeah. and then that whole. Th- that whole movement got shut down like really hard yeah. and went yeah, on the ground. Absolutely. Um, absolutely. And so like in the first wave of psychedelic Renaissance, um, like basically the word got out. I mean, I wasn't living then in the 60s and 70s. Um, Me either, as far as I can remember. (laughs) Like, so my understanding of it is that like, it kind of went like, woo. And then, I mean, 
humanity maybe like wasn't fully ready for like the merry pranksters and it looked like these people were just like crazy and losing it <laughs> tensions were high and and so the government stepped in at the time and so now though really we're re we're relooking at these substances as therapeutic and as medicine because like you said just in one one dose there's incredible results that psychology and talk therapy has not gained in so many years i mean it's really time for a revolution like revolutionary ideas in the way that we look at mental imbalances and um, mental well-being because um, just the talk therapy and like going into your traumatic events it just doesn't it doesn't have the same results that these um, substances are able to catalyze for us so it's interesting too um, the argument versus kind of like decriminalizing versus making it medical therapy I wonder yeah if it would be just beneficial to have both occur kind of at the same time to, cause the main yeah, thing is yeah. if they just get decriminalized, then like no one can really use it like in a kind of intentional professional setting, which could be really helpful for some people. Yeah. Well, I'm really glad you said that because, um, a part of, a part of the measure here in Oregon, um, it's called IP 34 mm -hmm. is the psilocybin assisted therapy. They are also endorsing an IP 44, which is actually pushing to be more decriminalized all substances, like all drugs. Um, and I haven't looked into that one deeper. I just know that they're going hand in hand and working together to get on the ballot in November. So it makes sense that they would go hand in hand because it's like if yeah. if it becomes kind of legalized only for like certain people to use in a certain setting, then like you're also kind of preventing people in some sense from getting access to it. Um, people yeah, already I, get access to it, though. It's interesting. There's I don't know if you've heard, but there's a lot of underground practitioners who are doing these therapies, just like risking their license, risking their career, risking everything because they've seen like the benefits that it could have for people. They have to do it in secret, though. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And, um, you know, um, my take on it is that there's sort of, in my belief that there's like this ancient future, ancient future mm -hmm. healing. So if we look back to the Mesotac people who use these psilocybin mushrooms in ceremony for healing, they had you know, maybe they didn't have like the labels for it and whatnot, but really they were communal based. They didn't have like schizophrenia or bipolar disorder, for example. Um, so I like to look back to the, the ancient like cultures that were using this. And so then how can we in the current times look to the future for integration practices and processes. So I don't advertise that I am a psychedelic like integration coach or guide or, or whatnot. At the same time, I am mixing modalities that are very supportive for the integration processes so that you, because these this experience can be life altering and changing. And if you don't have like scaffolding, for example, in place, you're going to spin off like worse comes worse. You're going to spin off and have a really difficult time, or you're just going to be left like 
not wanting to go back to that. If you have scaffolding in place with different practices, like these activation games I talked about, like breath work, for example, yoga or whatever fits for you, then you're going to be able to make what you learned in that peak experience and have impacting like life changes. So. Mm. That's a really strong argument for um, IP34, uh, is it called? Yeah. Um, because that is an aspect that when people are very supportive of the therapy that is like not talked about the fact that there really can be really adverse reactions to it. I mean, you're, yeah. especially with like very high doses, you're, you know, you're at the whim of your subconscious mind. And if you have any yeah. kind of underlying issues or anything like that could be terrifying. I mean, everyone's heard the story yeah. of like the bad trip. Um, although like overall adverse events are like in the low percentages um, for yeah. people who do them in a certain setting, I think that, that, that's a really good argument for having it in a kind of medical setting. Um, yeah. Not like medicalized in like a sterile room, but more like you have somebody supervising you. You're always safe. You have maybe mm-hmm. some medications at hand if it gets too bad to kind of, because there are some medications that uh, that can be given to kind of sedate someone out of like a, like a terrible, you know, temporary psychosis. Right, right. So. Yeah, exactly. Um, and I mean, and then I think that we can get into the conversation of like microdosing and the mm-hmm. difference between um, someone who wants to try microdosing, like the Paul Stamets stack, for example, B12, niacin will prevent you from tripping. Like that's why he puts, that's why he put it into his recommended dosage because that will literally prevent you from going into a deep experience if you're really trying to microdose so there's two there's two Mm. sides to the like psilocybin talk and um yeah so and i i really do stress that psychedelics um they really aren't for everyone and uh do reach out to trusted community and um if you are working with a therapist which i encourage everyone to i think there's a horrible stigma around working with a therapist or seeking mental health um, guidance like have that conversation with them and if it's something you want to explore there's therapy therapists out there that are willing and open to have that conversation with you so absolutely that that's like that's my biggest passion right now is, is mental health. And that's the, yeah. the one thing that I'm focusing on as soon as, um, once I graduate in a couple of months is, yeah. uh, is helping people with their mental health, but not just from like the counseling side, but also from like the supplements, herbs, that kind of thing. Cause yeah. I feel like that whole sector is just like, that doesn't really exist to some degree. I mean, there's like psychologists yeah. and there's psychiatrists who may mainly just use pharmaceuticals. Yeah. Um, but there isn't really like, many practitioners who treat like serious mental health things naturally. So I've always been interested in that. I was considering being a psychologist before this. That was like my alternate career path, but I kind of found naturopathic medicine. So I'm finding a way to kind of bridge. Yeah. I mean, and I think that that's why naturopathic medicine is beautiful for that. Like I know that there is one um, student who recently graduated and he's in the, um, CIIS program. Um, so if you are looking to do like psychedelic assisted psychotherapy, you can go that route as a naturopathic doctor. Um, and like I said, just to circle back that I really do believe that a revolution in the way that we treat people with mental imbalances, 
it has to happen. I mean, mm. and that's that's really a part of like what I what I share and create. I take like a very pioneering approach to healing that is holistic and looking at the whole person because mm-hmm. um, you know, the physical side, those are really just rooted somewhere else in in dis-ease so there's there's a lot that goes into it so what experiences have you had with these magical mushrooms let's -hmm. call them for now (laughs) yeah um so i'll share a really profound experience that um happened to me and sort of leads into um into kind of uh, my passions and where I'm focusing my energy. So um, I had one experience when I was younger that I wish that like, you always wish that you could go back and knew what you know then. Um, Ultimately though, I had one of these experiences that was a bad trip and I won't go into that one very much. I'll just kind of let your imagination go with that one. It was just not the correct as Dan Groff talks about set and setting and the dosing was not taken into consideration. And um, I said, okay, like, no, mushrooms are not for me. That was scary. And I didn't like that. So for quite a few years, I never experienced mushrooms, magic mushrooms, the sacred mushrooms. And then I sort of had um, a flipped in, a flip in my awareness around it and was kind of encouraged to give them a try. And that's sort of a different story. I ended up retrying them and having a very beautiful experience. This one experience that I had, though, really opened me up to the idea that there are symbols and signs that are being given to us all the time from the universe if we're just open and willing to listen. So I was at a music festival, and music festivals have been very... um, pivotal in my life because uh, one reason that I went and learned emergency medical services training is because and uh, continued learning things in harm reduction and uh, really got curious about psychedelic and uh, these experiences that people have because multiple times I saw people like drop in front of me Um, and in those moments I was very helpless. I felt very helpless. And from that feeling of helplessness, I really was fueled to understand more because at the same time, I saw that there were, um, there's a therapeutic side to these as well. And I was at this music festival called Sonic Bloom, and I had ingested some psilocybin mushrooms, and I was able to see people's spirit animal totems. It was like this current of energy that shot through their heart and up into the sky. It was Mm. like an animal totem. So it was almost like smoke or like shadows that these different animal faces came and uh, really like entered our like aura or being. So I thought that that was uh, very interesting and really was sort of a, when I got it curious about um, energies and entities and signs and symbols that nature has for us. So that's one 
one that's, experience. Uh, that's fascinating. So do you think that, do you think that those things are just always there and we don't see them unless, you know, we do some kind of practices or take psilocybin yeah. or is it something that it's like guiding you to see? Um, hmm. Like, I is it already basically is the question. I feel like what my, what my intuition tells me is that, yeah, it, it's always there. And um, like for me personally, I just have a strong affiliation with animals. Um, I think that other people will have different experiences mm. with uh, symbols and whatnot. But like for me, animals are very um, profound. So maybe it was like these energies from maybe a higher realm or consciousness if that's what you choose to see it as was presenting themselves in a way that I was able to perceive them and maybe that was through animals and so I've come to now recognize that we have like guides or support all the time that's kind of um that's where I'm at with that so there's these uh research studies that looked at people having out-of-body experiences uh, I think Raymond Moody wrote a book about it. It's called Life After Death. Um, anyway, in, in that book, he talks about the various experiences that people had, depending on what they believed in. So like yeah. in the near-death experience of a lot of Christians, they would see Christ and Christ would tell them something. In uh, somebody who was a Hindu, they would see the Hindu gods. And somebody who was an atheist uh, didn't really believe in any religion. They would still see like an energy, like a loving energy, but it just wouldn't have any form. and. Yeah. The interesting thing is that all of them had, at least the ones that had the significant out-of-body experiences, they had a really like transformative, life-changing event happen while they were unconscious. Um, and it seems like what happened was that based on what they believed in, that is like what they projected onto it. But there was something to project onto. Like even if you didn't believe yeah. anything, it was just like an a, amorphous loving energy. Like if you were agnostic or an atheist, you didn't see like a God form, but you saw you know, a loving holding embrace that you couldn't you know, yeah. visualize. And that's what, what your story makes me think of is like, because you studied and you knew about the spirit animals, that's like what you projected onto it. But that doesn't mean yeah. that what you're seeing is not something real that like, depending on the way you see it, like you'll see it differently, but it's still like yeah. something you're seeing something. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And, um, you know, I say like, uh, where your intention goes, that's what grows. Or where your brain wi uh, fires, that's what wires. Um, and so like this idea that where our attention and intention is going is that's what's manifesting or building our reality. So really our, our beliefs, what we're attaching our beliefs to is what's going to be important to us in our lives. And then recognizing that we have the choice if we choose to believe in something else or different. And that's not to say that it's easy to shift your beliefs because I actually think it's the opposite. And that's why I love working with people because it's sort of a, a way that you have like an accountability buddy or you have someone there that's like holding the rope for example, if you're um, rock climbing or something, because when you're shifting your beliefs or changing your life, it can be very uncomfortable. Like when you're healing or growing, it can be uncomfortable. So. Yeah, certainly. I mean, it, it's those beliefs, they go really deep. Um, yeah. Like even those ideas of what people 
see. So it's also the case that people who think of themselves now as atheists might still have all sorts of Christian visions when they take psilocybin because, um, you know, that's probably how they were brought up from a young age. So it's still there in their subconscious mind, whether or not they choose to believe it, they still like some part of them still sees the world uh, that way. And I, I hear that, uh, I hear that a lot about the psilocybin trips that for a lot of people in our culture, they have a kind of Christian flavor to them sometimes. And I don't know if that's uh, because actually the early um, uh, like Christian cults and, and movements uh, supposedly used psilocybin and other mushrooms as part of their sacraments. Uh, and there's these weird like ancient paintings of like Christians and like little like mushrooms and things like that. So there was, it was even present in the iconography. Um, but that all goes to say that like psilocybin is like nothing new. Right. It's been used in like a healing kind of environment since probably since the first times people ever tried it uh, because they saw yeah. that it has that effect. Yeah. And, uh, you know, I, I do go off of the um, Terrence McKenna's theory, uh, stoned ape theory. Mm-hmm. And um, yeah, we don't have to go into that now. I just sort of see that as like our, our possibilities and um I did some qualitative research my last year in school and there was one person that I interviewed and he had a very interesting theory that psilocybin is actually our original serotonin molecule and we need to be um, consuming more more psilocybin which will increase our our happiness and well-being and you know I mean if that you want definitely to does agree a lot with of that shrooms. or not. <laughs> <laughs> That's a hundred percent. I don't I don't yeah. know about his theory, but he definitely does a lot of shrooms in his free time. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, no doubt. So if, if you want to go with that or not, it's just yeah. uh, it's an interesting way well, to look at things the, uh, and possibility to ponder. So That's the interesting thing a lot about a lot of those um uh, different molecules that are in psychedelics and give them the effects they're really sometimes very simple and a lot of times they're just a few little changes away from like a neurotransmitter so what he's saying isn't really that yeah. far out yeah it's some, something to ponder definitely i thought about it so <laughs> so what are your favorite um magical practices that you find yourself doing regularly like mm-hmm. what are your go-to's hmm. i think that probably like natural magic is uh what I like to work with often. So I will just give one example here. Um, like my hair, <laughs> my hair, for example, I, I don't throw it away. I'll actually just like go and give, give it back to the birds, for example. Um, so practices that are strengthening the relationship between me and nature. Mm. Um, and then I always am like blessing my food. And if I have like a mantra for the day, for example, like I express myself with grace and ease, I'll just hold it and put that into my water, put that into my food. Um, and that's just an act of programming that you can do. So. Mm. Yeah. There's, there's some like deeply mystical aspect about food. That's not really that obvious. Um, but a lot of the, religions have this idea that like God is in the food somehow Mm. in some way, even in um, early like Indian Vedic philosophy, they had this idea that like Brahma is actually in the food that you eat, that that's like the highest wisdom. And Mm. that seems like very abstract. Um, And then the Christians, 
obviously they have, you know, the body of Christ. It's like actually yeah. physical food. But yeah. I think that there's some deeper understanding of that because what you're doing is you're you're taking in like energy in some sense. I mean, it's just like yeah. chemical bonded energy and you need yeah. it to live. And it's also like a weird paradoxical reality because it's like other things have to die for you to live, mostly. Yeah. I mean, unless yeah. you only eat fruits, right? right. But, but trees need fruits too for themselves, for seeds yeah. and everything. But if you're eating anything other than fruits, even plants, that's like this like um, this cycle of life that's like way beyond us that yeah. we're just part of. We're just kind of thrown into and we're just now part of this and we have to kind of yeah. come to terms with it. Yeah. And in the United States, we're really far removed from, I mean, not everyone often though, we're far removed from being in touch with where we get our food and really this practice that our food is what is giving us energy and nourishing us and we eat super quickly. So I always mm. am encouraging people to breathe, slow down, like really take deep breaths to get into this parasympathetic, this calm state to digest your food, give a little blessing or prayer or positive loving energy towards it. It just says, I'm going to be nourished by you and thanking it for it to happen. And instead of like consuming our food so quickly and then like we aren't even chewing it. So we're drinking whatever like water we have to drink. And like, you know, it goes on to our eating practices. Um, and yeah, it's kind of an interesting experiment that I did with myself because um, I got really bad atopic dermatitis for a while. And so I cut out dairy and some other inflammatory foods. Um, and I was telling myself that I wasn't able to eat these foods. It was almost like a self-perpetuating prophecy. And then I just decided, I was like, I'm going to try just to tell myself that these foods are good for me. And I'm going to give like golden light and energy to these foods. And after that, I've been able to, I don't drink like glasses of milk every day, but <laughs> I'm able to eat ice cream and eat cheese when I want. And my atopic dermatitis isn't come back. And so I think that there's, there's a, it's a nice time to really connect with yourself and take a moment and yeah. So. Yeah. That, that's the interesting thing about that too, because it's like, it's so individual what works or doesn't work for someone. If someone just reads in some study that, you know, like gluten or dairy causes this, then like in some way, I mean, the, ner uh, the nervous system and the immune system are so linked that like even just believing that something will give you an allergy can actually give you an allergy, which is yeah. crazy. Yeah. There's, yeah. there's cases of people with really severe allergies. Uh, they did tests where even if the person like saw the thing, or they had like even clothes that had like the image of the thing on them, they would break out. Like, that's crazy. It's not from yeah. the thing. It's because your immune system is being like trained to see things as threats. And like, most of that's probably subconscious, like deep, deep beliefs of like, this food is bad for me. Yeah, 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 exactly. And I think that it really speaks to the power of our mind. And, um, you know, I was speaking with this earlier this week with someone and how we've we're given how to and instructions for everything in our lives except our mental well-being and how to really take care of care take care of our thoughts and where they're going and then that leaks over to our emotional well-being and then that 
translates over to the physical well-being and then we can't hold relationships and then I mean it's just it spirals and spirals um and yeah there's there's something to be said too about how stimulating our society is right now and how often things really really aren't in a natural state for us to be experiencing and I believe it's really difficult right now for like younger people and younger generations because they are being so stimulated and there's really not many like outlets to uh put those like feelings and emotions and then people are gravitating towards external validation and whatever that looks like and there's really high rates of like schizophrenia and bipolar and then like even even looking at autism for example children that are on the spectrum it's sort of like it's just a label that people put on them because we're not exactly sure what's manifesting like what is really actually going on so yeah it's it's definitely not something that's really overtly talked about. Like what I find with, um, with mental health stuff is the information is there everywhere, but like, unless you're looking for it, you won't find it. Like information, how to be like, well can come from like a heroic movie or something. Cause you're like, if you watch them, you see, Oh, that's how they react to this. Like there's like a myth of like, when this shit happens, this is the way to look at it. They don't say like this for your mental health, but that's what it is really. I mean, cause mental health is like, there's no such thing really because we're we're an integrated being so like mental health is just one expression of us being integrated living kind of in tune with our own lives which has to do with our thoughts emotions food Mm -hmm. etc yeah yeah and uh, like living harmoniously with with everything that goes that goes on and so I feel like a lot of the practices that I share and what I've learned and it's like building this internal pressure inside of ourselves so that you can return to this like belonging or place inside of your soul so that whatever comes at you in life externally, you're strong and rooted from that internal, internal place. Um, yeah. Mm-hmm. What are, uh, what are some things that uh, you like to do um, to get yourself kind of like centered or maybe change like negative thought patterns? Like when you get your, when you're in yeah. a funk, what do you do? What's like the first thing you? Um, well, first do? I have like a whole lot of compassion towards myself, um, and I I really am practicing like uh, not being hard on myself if I gravitate towards doing one thing. Like for example, this podcast we had to reschedule it because I was going through some things yesterday. I just had to honor myself, and I'm not gonna stay stagnant in that place and being hard on myself because I wasn't able to accomplish this like I'm able to show up now so that's I think one of the first keys is really loving yourself wherever you're at and then getting curious getting curious around it um you can why why am I feeling this way is this really me and you know, you're going to answer that for yourself. Um, Our thoughts, we're so much more than our thoughts and emotions. These are just things that, that happen to us. Um, And you can set like a time limit and say, I am going to be upset about this because this is an upsetting thing. And at the same time, I'm not going to let it rule me 
forever. I think that's a one great practice to put in place that like gives yourself time to process and go through things. And yet I'm not going to let my whole life unravel because of, because of this thing that happened. Mm. Yeah. It's interesting too, the, like the dual nature of it, like honoring and accepting it, but also Mm -hmm. like attempting to put some kind of, you know, like order to it. Like, you know, you said like, I have one hour to feel sorry about myself, but after that I D G A F like that's it. Yeah. I'm just moving on and that's what it is. Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, you can visualize like your emotions or thoughts like on a screen and you can just see them for what they are, or you can invite them to tea and say, what are you here to teach me? And you just listen. And I think then that that is really like giving yourself that space to do that, which oftentimes comes back to the awareness that we're not even aware that we need to allow these things to teach us something. Um, and, and that's like one of the biggest things that I'm curious about and discovering more is, um, you know, you, the saying you can't, you can lead a horse to water and you can't make them drink. And it's similar with bringing more harmony or helping people that are experiencing mental imbalances. And I'm working on finding ways to sort of like tricking kind of sounds bad, but sort of like tricking someone into developing that curiosity and developing that awareness. So they really come to their own, thoughts and decisions around their own mental health and stuff so like that's kind of one of instead of like saying like this is how you need to think and this is what you need to do like in therapy or something is there like a game that we can play that makes you come to realize like that I need to take this space Mm. for myself and I need to get curious about what's going on in my life. So Yeah, that that's a really, it's really powerful point. I think anyone who is walking along the healer path or wants to be a therapist or anything that Mm -hmm. the, the one, if there was going to be one rule, it's, only they know what's right for them. And yeah, yeah. work is to help them bring that out for themselves. Yeah. So like if you come to them with like, this is what's right and you put it on them, like no one can be happy with that because yeah. it's, you know, it just doesn't, if it doesn't come from within you. And I find that we could do that for ourselves. Like one of my, it's not even like a practice. It's more like a realization of like how, mm. how one gets into like uh, kind of, not like good mental states. And a lot of it is from like feeling disempowered about Mm -hmm. your own life, about your choices that could either be from like your emotions or something happens. Um, Mm -hmm. But like what I find is the antidote to that is like going deep, deep within your own mind and seeing like the, the underlying like reasons for why you do what you do and how like, and finding like the solution to what the problem is. in that sense, because a lot of times, you know, we put a lot of uh, we put a lot of weight on ourselves, and we're like, got to do this, got to do that, got to do this, got to do that, et cetera, right? And it gets into yeah. this like monotonous thing, and then we kind of lose ourselves, and we get you know depressed. But it's like yeah, yeah. remembering the reasons why we do all the things, and that we decided to do them, so we can decide to stop doing them. Like I always play this game yeah. with myself. Speaking of games, where if I don't yeah. want to do something that I like planned for myself to do. I'll be like, okay, you don't have to do it. And then instantly I'll be like, ah, but I want to do it. And I'll find like the reason <laughs> again. But I have to like give yeah. myself the permission to be like, 
like should is like a sinful word kind yeah, of yeah, like to I ourselves say, yeah like, like it, it, it doesn't wanna, help anybody yeah if you want to change your life remove the word should could and would replace with can will and do yeah yeah mm-hmm. or will not do or etc yeah. <laughs> yeah yeah and uh and then i think that comes into like a very interesting conversation with language and how language is symbols and placeholders and really our our reality is shaped by the language that that we're creating so that blows my mind on a regular basis yeah and um yeah. And it's obvious that words are like actually magic because yeah, if you exactly. think about it like you sit down and you like convince yourself to like have the feeling that you'll like do something or won't do something and it's like you're yeah. just i mean it's called spells right like you we're literally spells, exactly. are just using it's we're we're influencing our own minds basically it's mm-hmm. the weirdest thing ever because like the way it seems to work is words have like associations with them so like mm-hmm. the word i don't know let's say like strength has like an association and a feeling and has maybe like an image to it and if we like mm-hmm. think on that word and say that oh i have that then like we actually find it for like from within our own like images so yeah yeah and and like that's then how you can reprogram specific habits like if Mm. you want to quit smoking for example put really positive feelings around when you've quit smoking so that you're kind of tricking yourself into that happy good feeling even though Mm. in your mind and brain you know that like you don't want to quit smoking for example yet it's good for you so yeah it's like finding those deeper uh emotional reasons because like emotions kind of like the energy that 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 guides us yeah emotion energy in motion i I i've heard of Mm. that and and that's why like uh to re like kind of get out of specific patterns like I tell people to like just shake like that's why movement is so important you can um really release some stagnation that is building up so yeah and you can find kind of mindfulness in any activity as we were um discussing before like sometimes when I'm running I'll just so it's really interesting what you notice if you apply mindfulness to any activity because you see kind of all of the the clouds of the mind because you'll be like running and you'll like get into like a thought stream and like it'll actually make it really hard to run like you'll feel like uh like this is hard but then when you like just look up at the sky and like stop thinking then it's like easy but it's you're doing the same thing but it's just how much you're getting in the way of yourself and it's not even like really us getting in the way of ourselves it's the automatic minds all yeah. the different thoughts that come up and of course there's legitimacy to it like sometimes your subconscious mind will remind you to like wake up at some certain time and it's like that's awesome that it does that for us but yeah. sometimes it'll remind you to feel bad about yourself <laughs> when you don't feel bad about yourself <laughs> yeah so like, exactly and, confused with that kind of thing yeah exactly and our thoughts give us uh, emotions and then those cascading emotions like run through our through our body and activating all of these chemical reactions and then we get sort of stuck in those emotions so mm. which do you think is like the thoughts. next the next level of like language because 
at first, like whenever people came up with language, that was like probably, you know, people say like fire or tools are the biggest invention of humanity. It's questionable uh-huh. whether language even is an invention or what it is. Yeah. But that is like the biggest invention of humanity because everything, even our ideas of past and future and all concepts and all ability to transmit information of like an experience that you had to somebody who right. hasn't had that experience all comes yeah. through language and yeah. no other animal has that at least to develop. Yeah. We do. yeah. So, um, I'm really glad you asked this question because I feel like the, what the sort of the language that I've been, um, focusing on because when I was in Guatemala I had lots of inspiration and I was writing a lot of poetry and this I kept getting stuck on this like you or me like do I put you or me in it and it's it's the same with like subconscious because I've moved through different phases of how I'm programming my subconscious and really I came to just write a new language like under you I wrote me so like or you and then like I and then am like you and I. So in my opinion, the new language is really viewing each other as like I am you and you are me and like we are one in a way and removing like this separation that we're creating in our language already. So mm. have you ever tried uh, not using the word I in conversations? <laughs> I've, I, no. I did these experiments with friends and it always ends in hilarity because it is actually so difficult that sounds so to not hard. say I yeah. and to not say you like try it and I was just about to say you see now I'm trying to <laughs> stop myself you basically won't be able to speak you'll just burst out into laughter because you'd be like I can't I, right? I can't yeah. even speak without using self-reference uh, fun, and though. personal reference That'd be fun though. And I mean, that's like a great example for like a, an activation game that you can do. And like you could even write out a story that has you and I in it and then cross it off and then try to read it without it. And, and yeah, it's interesting to see how many words we, we use that are maybe more like filler words or aren't really even necessarily have to be there. So. Mm. Another cool practice is having like a vow of silence with a friend. It's just like agree that you'll hang out for so many hours or maybe the day or whatever, and that you're just not allowed to speak at all. Like you can interact <laughs> with your hands. You can do anything you yeah, want. Yeah, the non-verbal. You can even write, can even write yeah. on paper for like basic like like park, question mark, like or something like that where yeah. it's like there's no other really way to communicate like a future plan. It actually ends up being a really – in the beginning, it's difficult, but then it becomes really fun because – you actually like are trying to communicate with the person and you realize actually how difficult it is without words, but it it takes so much weight off of like any kind of like relationship because you like don't have to do or say anything. You just be yourself and then what happens? You don't have to like, you can just sit in silence for hours with somebody. Yeah. Exactly. And I think, I mean, that's something that you learn when you're traveling, when there is a language barrier and it Mm. really peels back the layers to what is humanity at at the essence and like laughter and crying or the same language for everyone. (laughs) Joy is, is a way that you can communicate with anyone. So. So what have you found in your travels when you try to communicate with people that you can't speak with? Like, how do you find yourself trying to communicate? Um, I mean, smiling helps at any time. And I really uh, just like to see people as 
as humans, I guess, and uh, lots of hand motions and nodding and and you know it's a it's a grand old time when you bring humor <laughs> and laughter into it and yeah. somehow it works out so yeah you know it's it's really interesting how like what we think of as reality and the the truth and how you should live is so like culturally dependent because like you go in yeah. another culture and it's just like the demeanor of the people is completely different like i was thinking about this mm-hmm. so in like the west especially in the united states like there's like a certain like um, like a mythos of being like a fighter or something, being like a MMA practitioner or something like that, where like they're like <laughs> stoic and they're like the kind of hard warrior. And like, that's the way, you know, and you see like Marines kind of take this uh, approach to like the warrior is somebody who's, you know, very confident, resolute, et cetera, serious about all things, et cetera. But then you look at a place like Thailand where they do uh, like Muay Thai there and like some of the most badass fighters who are just like, they're insane. Um, they're just always laughing and joking. Like everything's just like a laugh and a joke, but they're also like that, what that is. Like they're also a warrior, but they're, it just shows us that it's like so relative. We think like we have to be a certain way, but a lot of that is just decided based on like what the culture around us kind of holds to be that value. Like what is yeah. a healer? What should a healer act like? What should yeah, a fighter exactly. act And we wear exactly. all these different hats. Yeah. And it's good that we do because we can understand each other in the culture, but we have to also realize that they're just, they're so uh, relative to the culture. Like you, yeah. uh, like a healer in another country is completely different in how they behave and how they. Yeah, exactly. And those are just constructs. And, you know, I think that it's important to be like breaking out, breaking out of a part of that. Um, and there are there are some like symbols or something that maybe you do want to embody and at the same time it's okay if you want to show up and look like a different way for example those are just constructs that sort of hold us and when i hear someone like say something about themselves a belief whether it's limiting or not it's like well who told you that and they think about it and they're like oh i i told myself that it's like, yeah, you told yourself that. If you want to stop telling yourself that, you can do that too. It yeah. doesn't have to look the way that society tells you it's supposed to look. Yeah, it's it's very mysterious because we're both creating ourselves and also mm-hmm. discovering ourselves at the same time. It's just like yeah. one, like we don't like, until you're dead, you don't know yourself as much as you could because like you're still unfolding until like you end and whatever happens after that. Um, But the unfolding comes out from like your choice too, in some way, like you can unfold a certain aspect of yourself or like block another aspect. Mm. And it's, it's, it's interesting predicament we have being humans. Yeah. Yeah. And, and like that comes into like identity and story and it's okay to, hold on to something and it's okay to to drop it so maybe you are like trying on a new coat or something and then you say okay like that didn't work it's okay to loosen your grip on like a part of your identity and I really think that that leads back to like mental flexibility and like adaptability and then you build resilience because you're not attached to one way of being yeah it always um always blows my mind how much like habit is like a big part of the way that we live and like if we don't set our own habits like they'll be set for us by like who knows what 
our unconscious beliefs, other people's expectations, et cetera. And yeah, really interesting. Yeah, exactly. And that's like a a simple mind shift that you can uh, start to embody or learn to embody is that the universe is happening for me versus happening to me. Mm. It's like a subtle uh, perspective shift. Yeah, exactly. And, and that's really, uh, yeah. Shifting your perspective leads into more, more magic. (laughs) All right. Any, uh, any last words to, um, to give to the community about what magic is? Hmm. Um, you know, I say that these are all ideas, um, until you, choose to embody them yourself. So this is just what I have learned up until up until now for Marissa. So take and uh, like anything in life, take what resonates and, and leave the rest. Um, and you can reach out or find me if you want to continue these conversations and discuss more. And thank you so much, Bogdan, for having me on here. Yeah, it was, uh, it was a pleasure. I always love talking about these kind of things. Um, yeah. It it brings me back into what is important. I find that if you don't think about like the the deeper aspects of your life or who you are or like what the point of it all is on a regular basis, it's really easy to lose your way and like find yourself in like a a situation where like you don't know how you got there. Mm-hmm. But like it's just the small choices all in the way. So um, yeah. that's kind of what magic is. Uh, that's my view of magic is like it's how you use words in your own mind to guide and manifest whatever you want. And part of it is actually figuring out what do you want? I mean, that, that question in and of itself is yeah. built enough as it is to actually do that is kind of like yeah. step two. Um, but and I think it's an ongoing process too. It's like, we're always kind of evolving and learning and yeah. unlearning, etc. Yeah. And, and really then you can start to co-create what you really want to see and you're co-creating with the universe. All right. There you have it. Marissa Otterbein Pyle. Am I pronouncing that correctly? Mm-hmm. Yep. Where can, uh, where can people find you if they want to get magical? Um, so my Instagram is love miss magic, L O V E M Y S M A J I C. You can also find me on Facebook just as my name, Marissa M Y R I S S A Otterbein Pyle. And we can, throw in some links here <laughs> oh sounds good well uh thank you for being uh on the show marissa always love talking yeah. to you and um if you're watching this on youtube be sure to subscribe below because yeah. this podcast is awesome <laughs> <laughs>